In the realm of Christian thought and philosophy, Dr. Paul emerges as a thoughtful navigator, skillfully steering the course between faith and reason. Rooted in a deep well of theological understanding and academic rigor, Dr. Paul's Christian worldview reflects a commitment to reconciling the sacred tenets of faith with the inquisitive nature of the human mind. Join us as we navigate the terrain of Dr. Paul's Christian worldview. In the footsteps of a scholar whose convictions are deeply rooted in both heart and mind, we embark on a quest for insight and illumination within the tapestry of Christian thought. Now, wasn't that impressive? Now, Dr. Paul has the crowds doing it, awing. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Paul. One more time. Thanks for stopping in for a couple of minutes, allowing me to tweak your brain. Uh, for maybe the next hour, maybe. Depends on how much I've got to say. And I've got something worthy of saying. Worthy of telling you. This is my Worldviews podcast. Where we present the gospel. And a defense of it in light of all of the gobbledygook that's out there today. And there's plenty of that. And we've been talking about the Christian Constitution as a way to provide the foundation for which we speak. One that is objective. Amid all of the claims to the contrary. Oh, there's no absolute truth in the world. Really? Do you believe that? Absolutely. Do you believe that's the absolute truth? <laughs> Welcome to your own contradiction. No, there is absolute truth. God has revealed it. And some people will get it. Some people will actually defend it and say, hey, this is pretty cool. And then they'll go out and start asking hard questions and... Pretty soon, you know, then there will be those that will come along and castigate them as some kind of evil, creepy thing. You're a bigot! You're a homophobe! You're whatever. And so the conversation begins. And the Christian then infuriates the world. Well, I'm not necessarily here to infuriate the world. I'm here to tell you the truth. And we have God's unmitigated, uncompromised truth to present here. It's called the good news. That Jesus Christ went to the cross, gave his life for we sinners, whereby we could be reconciled to God and not have to endure his wrath throughout eternity. That's great news. That's something that you're not going to find 
anywhere on planet Earth or in the cosmos. Oh, but I am so spiritual. I don't need organized religion. Uh, give me my give me my Buddhism or my hit. You can have all of that, and it's still bad news. Because guess what? You still get to pay the said debt. And that's something that the world is not telling the people in his mantra as it rails against Christians and Christianity and what God has to say. You're your own little deity. And you're in control of your own destiny to do what you want. You can pick and grab and this and that and whatever, and away you go. You'll be just fine. Uh, That is a lie. That is akin to what Satan told Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, and it's replayed itself out millions of times to the, the lost person's detriment because when they buy into that lie, they start thinking they're little deities, and, well, pretty soon they're standing before God, mouth agape, totally silent, can't figure out what to say in their own defense, and into hell they go. I don't want you as a listener ending up standing before God like that. So, what are we talking about today? We're, we're, we're continuing on with what we talked about in the previous podcast, where I had entitled it, you know, Don't Be a Hypocritical Christian, because in Romans chapter 12, in the four verses that we did cover, That's what Paul was alluding to in a practical way. How to live a practical Christian life in the truest sense. Not being a hypocrite. And I said that, you know, that's probably one of the biggest indictments against the church today. Against real churches. I'm not talking about these caricatures out there that have phony baloney priests and all that kind of stuff. You know, the the blab it, grab it you know, big teeth type people that that uh, promise you the world and, you know, like I said, you end up in hell because of it. I'm talking about real Christianity. I'm talking about letting love be genuine, not being hypocritical by uh, abhorring what is evil and the things that we had talked about in Romans chapter 12 and verses 9 through 13. And because Paul be- became so wrapped up in this, he couldn't get through the podcast. That's how we should be, though, when it comes to being fervent in spirit, being set on fire rather than being a Laodicean-type Christian, where you make God sick and he wants to puke you out of his mouth. No, you should be on fire for God. He's the one who's given you his spirit. But so many times Christians, they have their feet in two different worlds. They have their... Their feet or one foot in the world that they came from, that God gave his son to redeem them from, and one in the religious world. But they're like the dilly-dally. They play around and think that, you know what, if I can fool my neighbor, I can fool my fellow churchgoer or fool my family or my kids or whatever, then I fool God too. You're not fooling God. You can't fool him. You can't trick him. He knows your heart better than you do. So why play that game? But many Christians do. 
And so the world stands back and they say, well, there you go. There's another pedophile doing his thing as a church leader. All the Christians must be like that. They're all a bunch of pedophiles. While the world revels in pedophilia and all of the garbage that is in the world that titillates the Christians that go, hey, man, maybe I could I could do one thing and, and the other at the same time. I could be rotten to the core and messing around with whatever. And I can be in the religious world and I can portray an image of just how wonderful I am, how wonderful Christianity is. And then I go back and as, as I mentioned before, what Peter talks about, I'm a dog that returns to his vomit. You can't do that. You can't do that and have any kind of an integ- any integrity as a Christian. And so then the Apostle Paul, picking up where Dr. Paul fell on his face before or took too much time, we come to verse 14 and we just continue on to the, to the end. But... We, we've read this previously. Let's read it again. It's good stuff. If you have your Bible, get it. You'll love this. It's better than any of the writings that you'll ever get when it comes to religion. And I've read a bunch of them. They're all garbage compared to this. Get your Bible. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 14. Let's reread this again. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Impossible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let's unpack this here, and hopefully we'll do it in the inefficient amount of time. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I'm telling you, just right out of the box, this is one of the hardest things for moi, me, to try to reconcile when it comes to rotten people who do rotten things. Evil, just disgusting, maddening, infuriating things like this. Now, since you didn't hear that because I had the volume turned down, let's try that one more time. When people do this kind of stuff... Every time I hear that, I, well, I maybe mean, the first time I heard it, first time I saw it, 
it not only paralyzed me to a certain degree, I could not believe what I was seeing. You're just hearing it. But what transpired in what you just heard is a highway patrol officer being murdered out on the side of a highway in New Mexico. This happened about three years ago. And the whole thing dealt with a, a drug runner. And if you're not from the United States, you probably don't recognize the verbiage. But if you do, a drug runner, somebody who is in the business of running methamphetamine and cocaine and all kinds of garbage uh, up and down the highway and distributing it to people so that people can die, ultimately, while the drug runner gets paid for it. Well, this guy had been, I, I could not believe, this guy had been in and out of prison. I don't know how many, his rap sheet is longer than my left arm. But he's out of prison. And the police know about it. And they're trying to run this guy down. And the whole thing ended up being botched. The whole plan to take this guy down. Send him back to prison again, probably so he could be released again, got botched. And so this police officer, this highway patrolman, pulls him over and approaches him, talks to him for a couple of minutes, and uh, wants him to come back. This is all a setup. The Homeland Security is involved. This police officer is involved. State police is involved. They're going to haul this guy in. And they knew this guy was dangerous. Like <laughs> he's a former prisoner. The, an undercover police officer even knew about the weapons that he had. And he had an AK-47, one of them he tried to purchase from him. But he wouldn't give it up because this guy knew the law enforcement was after him. And he needed his protection. He was not going back to prison. Well, after, like I said, a couple of minutes of, of the after the police officer had pulled him over, he goes and talks to him on the passenger side. Of course, the driver's on the driver's side. Uses the uh, reason that, you know what, your, your windshields are too dark. Oh, yeah, that's a good reason. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to lure him out of the vehicle, get him back so that they can slap the cuffs. To me, this whole thing was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. But anyway, the police officer finally convinces the criminal to exit the vehicle and join him back at his so that they, he can go ahead and, and uh, subdue him. Uh, the police officer does notice that the criminal is wearing a weapon. And he asks him, you know what, hey, um, can I have you... Uh, Take that off, uh, and I, I can take it from you, you know, just for my safety's sake. Oh, sure, not a problem. And so they start back to the back of the uh, the vehicle. Well, they don't get, he's driving a white pickup. Well, no sooner does he get to the back of the vehicle that this guy, he he's not showing the gun when he gets out. Uh, he's loading it. He's cocking it. He's getting it ready to kill this police officer and then this happens. Absolutely heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Every one of those 
times that the officer, you know, squeals is a bullet, an AK, AK-47 round going through his body. Those are the last things that he said. And when I hear that, I am just infuriated. I told my wife when I was watching this for the second or the third time, I said, you know, I, what I wished I could have done at that very moment that this guy starts firing off all of these rounds. The first one hits him, grazes his head. The next three, the guy comes around the, the side of the, pit, the uh, pickup. And while the officer's trying to reach for his gun, as he's trying to spare his own life, the guy shoots him once in the back. The officer turns around and then three more times shoots him in the chest. The autopsy showed that the bullet fragments of the bullets themselves went through his heart, through his lungs. But I told my wife, I said, I wished at that very moment. And this probably plays out over and over and over in other settings, similar Pukey people do these types of things. I wished I could have grabbed him in a supernatural way, that criminal, and squeezed the life out of him before he ever fired off one round. Because you know that officer wasn't the only person that this guy had killed. He had killed others by distributing. They said that the undercover police officer had received 4,000 fentanyl pills from this. I don't know what name to even call him. It killed others. Maybe 13, 14-year-olds, 15, 16, whoever it was. He's been killing people to gratify his own lust for whatever. Power, money, sex, who knows? And the reason I bring this up is I have all kinds of problems with what Paul is telling us here in 1214. Bless those who persecute you, those who literally chase you down. It's the Greek word. We're to eulogize them. That's the word that's being used here for bless. We're to say something good about them. I can't think of a good word to say about this Omar Cueva. Who's the person who killed the police officer? <laughs> While that's taking place, I can't find a word for it. Don't curse them. Maybe the only thing I can say is he's uh, the perfect subject for hell. Yet the Christian is to bless those that persecute us. I think about, once again, what took place over in Israel recently. October the 7th, when all of the Muslim invaders, terrorists, went in and murdered and raped and pillaged all of the Jews that they think are, they deserve to be grease spouts upon the world. I think about it, an attack recently in New York City. Two police officers are overwhelmed by a group of illegal invaders. 
that decided to exercise their thuggery there and beat up a bunch of police officers, or at least the two. I said this plays out over and over and over. The Christian, though, is to say something good about them, not to curse them, not to not to say something that is derogatory. I think there's a good reason for this later on. I mean, in in the grand scheme of things, we're all going to be here a relatively short amount of time. The Bible talks about, you know, the length of days being 70 years, and if you're of good health, maybe 80. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to die when they're 70 or 80. Some might live to be 100. Others might live to be 10 or 12. Maybe only just a few days. You never really know. But the point is, while you're here, I mean, to bless somebody is to say something positive, not to live in the negative world. This is the very thing that Jesus did. Jesus could have easily wiped out his enemies in, in a matter of seconds. Jesus talked about calling down 12 legions of angels to take care of him, but he didn't do that. Neither did the apostle Paul. Paul, You know, Paul's talking to Roman Christians in this particular context, and, well, you know, Christianity wasn't a hot deal until Constantine came along. In fact, they were derided insulted, accused, killed. And the apostle Paul is eventually, he's wanting to go to Rome. And he's going to end up being crucified by Nero. Peter, they said that Peter, the apostle Peter, who a lot of people say that started the church in Rome, which is not likely, but he ends up dying a martyr's death. Tradition has it that he died crucified upside down. There's there's hardly a thing you can say that's good about that. But in the grand scheme of things, it's short. You know, Paul had just gotten talking about the things that we're suffering in this world today are (laughs) a trifle compared to the things of the glory of of, of the Christian in the world to come. That will be eternal. And were this kind of rot, this very thing doesn't happen anymore. And so we're to bless and not to curse those who persecute the Christians. You hear about lots of that going on today. I don't really think a lot of Americans anyway really know what persecution is about. But it's coming. And unfor- <laughs> what, what is unfortunate is too many of these evangelical Christians, if you will, who think they're going to miss it. No, you're not. You're not going to miss out. Oh, I'm going to be raptured out. Keep on dreaming. You're going to be right here. If you're alive, when the Lord returns, you're going to be facing things you could, could hardly ever fathomed. They're going to be hurtful in moral, spiritual, physical ways as the world is turned totally upside down in cataclysm. In the meantime, we have verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's kind of an all-encompassing statement here. It's the peaks and valleys of Christianity. You see, a lot of Christians seem to think, I am a Christian. I only live on the peaks. 
where it snows all the time. The wind blows. <laughs> if you ever been to Wyoming, where I came from, you know what I'm talking about. Up on the peaks, there are no valleys in Christianity. That would be a lie. In fact, if you recall some of our discussions in uh, previous podcasts, Paul talks about these very things. Talks about, you know, doing things he didn't want to do. And inevitably, when you do stupid things, I've said are sinful things, you're walking in the darkness. And guess what? You know, you're going to merit yourself some, I don't know, unfavorable behavior, unfavorable consequences and results. Yeah. But the Apostle Paul is here. So he's, I don't think he's necessarily talking about the sin life or whatever. He's talking about the world itself. You know, there's going to be moments you're going to be up on the peaks. There's going to be moments you're going to be down in the valleys. Regardless, Christian, rejoice with them when it's taking place and weep with them when things are miserable, when friends and family and colleagues pass or in struggle, have unoperable cancer, it's, it's, it's death is awaiting and death is standing uh, or the grim, grim reaper standing at the door, the death angel is standing at the door when those things, weep with them, console them. Don't abandon them, as I've talked about before, which is <laughs> unfortunately what we see too much of in so-called evangelical Christianity, and I've talked about the disenfranchised. You know, there are going to be millions of Christians that are going to die, and uh, their former churches or uh, so-called Christian churches that are in the neighborhood, they're not even going to be, they're not going to be aware of it. it so-and-so died? Really? When did that happen? That happened yesterday? Oh, it happened five years ago. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, they they died of starvation. Or they died of because they couldn't get to the couldn't get to the doctor. Nobody cared. And, and it's gonna be once again another indictment. It's part of that hypocrisy within Christianity. Oh, we're we're loving. In fact, I've got a thing here. I got a letter here. This is so good. It's not really, but it's it's a letter from the Campus Crusade for Christ. You know, that evangelical bunch that's so concerned about reaching, you know, the lost and whatever around the world. They uh it's it's talking about, you know, the need for Bibles. We need your six dollars and seventy-five cents. You know, because uh in all these foreign countries where we can't even take a Bible, we want to take a Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. But what about in places like the United States? Of all places. You know, in England, in Britain right now, there are several people who listen to this podcast. And I want to welcome you. I thank you for, for joining me. You've been around for quite some time. I see the stats. But you know, they're in Britain. Things are pretty dark. You've got a Muslim mayor in there in London who's not exactly a friend of you know the, the Christian community. Your universities there have become so secularized, and your Supreme Court has become the same way, that you're in the dark. 
Whereas at one time, Great Britain, you know, with Cambridge and Oxford and Exeter and all those high-profile, one-time Christian universities are nothing like they used to be. It doesn't mean they're stupid people there. They're not stupid. They have just become so influenced by anti-Christian propaganda that it's killing the nation. And as some people have said, as go as so goes Britain, so goes the United States. We're hot on your heels in trying, and sometimes I think trying to outdo you. And I've written a paper <laughs> about the Unitarians, how about uh, how intolerant they are. You know who runs Harvard University? That bastion of secularist anti-Christian thought. It's the Unitarians. That's where everybody wants to go to get this prestigious Ivy League degree. Why? So you could be as big of an antichrist moron like everybody else? You know, it's it's just mind-blowing sometimes how far we keep striving to get away from God. It's the very thing I've said, you know, is is characteristic of Christianity anyway because of what took place at the fall. We don't run to God. We run away from him. And then we set up all of these institutions to try to justify it. And we try to deconstruct it, whatever. I'll I'll talk about that, you know, in more detail later on. And maybe another podcast. Even though I've railed on that one as well, this whole idea of deconstruction. Is nothing more than anti-Christian nonsense, questioning whether God has ever revealed anything. It's up to you to interpret it. Really? You make up your own reality? You don't make up anything. But I digress. This whole thing with the Campus Crusade for Christ, whereas at one time was a I think probably a, an honorable institution. I don't think it's honorable. Listen to what it says here. If it, if they even underlined it and emboldened it, which tells me you have no idea what you're talking about. Many have never had the chance to hear the gospel. Since when is the gospel a matter of chance? Hearing the gospel is a matter of God's providence. It's part of his plan. But the way this has been captured here or characterized, it's a matter of like a chance, you know, just happenstance. You know, it doesn't really have a way or means to it. In fact, you know, really, it's just kind of left up to you. You figure it out. And if we just slip you a Bible for $6.75, we can maybe take some credit for that. The gospel is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of design. You're listening to this podcast by God's design. And if you don't give God the credit, you don't give it to Dr. Paul. I'm just trying to do my best with with what God has given me to do. In the few minutes of time that the God has allotted me, by way of his grace to do it. God's the one who's to get the glory, period, 
End of story. And so if you happen to hear the good news that God has died in your behalf to set you free, that is something to glorify God about. Not the $6.75 it might have cost me to to present the, the podcast. But it's this kind of garbage that's going on in Christianity that once again becomes an indictment. We're not even becoming practical Christians. We're not rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who, who weep. We're not living in harmony, literally thinking of the same ways towards each other in an honorable way. Too many of us want to look down our pious noses at each other. As even James had pointed out in his letter, we set up certain people you know, you sit here and you sit there and blah, 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 blah. You know, you look look the part of a king or a queen, so we're going to put you down in front and we can spray all over you. The rest of you peasants and peons, get in the back. In fact, get so far back there that we never see you again because we're not coming to visit you. But we'll visit the king. We'll visit the president. We'll visit the secretary of state. But the rest of you commoners, be gone. Well, that's not thinking the same way towards each other. Living in harmony, if you will, is how the ESV has characterized it. The the King James and the NAS say, uh, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in your thinking. Don't be setting yourself up as something that you're not. In fact, Paul had talked about this very thing before, and I've mentioned this uh, also before. You had certain Christians even there in Rome, those that Paul is writing to, that look down their pious noses at at the Jews, thinking, you know what, the airship and the gifts that God had given you, oh, they belong to us now. (laughs) You know, we might let you in. If we want to, we'll let you into our clique. And you can be like us. You can be real spiritual like us. No, 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 no. Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Associate with them. Literally, the the word here for associate, go along with them. Those that seem to be the lowliest, you know, kind of getting back to what the Apostle Paul had talked about, you know, the different body parts, you know, the gifts they've got. Some are more, you know, significant than others, but they're all part of the one part of the body. They all function together. And when one goes awry or dies or is considered to be insignificant, well, that affects the whole body. Here the Apostle Paul said, don't be arrogant just because you might be a wonderful preacher. You're a dynamic evangelist. Does it mean that you are so far falutin, or should think of yourself as that, as the person who's taking care of the kids in the nursery? Maybe the bus driver, if you have one, or maybe just somebody who takes a meal to somebody that is not able to get out of the house. You're to associate with the lowly, the poor, with the with the with the rich. In fact, somebody has described the gospel, you know, sharing the gospel is just one beggar sharing with another beggar where he got bread. 
You're to associate with it. Go along with them. Never be wise in your own sight, in your own estimation of yourself. Because once again, all of us, all of us, every one of us are beggars. Every one of us are sinners that needs to be redeemed by God's grace. If that doesn't happen, you have no room at all to be condescending to somebody thinking you're something greater than them, holier than thou? How many times has that been thrown around? If if for any reason you're holier than someone else, it's only because of God's grace that he's redeemed you as opposed to those who have not been redeemed. That's all the holiness that you can parade out there in front of people, and it needs to be done humbly because, once again, it didn't happen because of what you did. And yet we've got all kinds of people that do that very thing. They're smarter than you are. They're wiser than you are. Only because of their own conceit. Only because of their own boastfulness. It's not that they've done anything that merited God's grace. Not a thing but they like to parade that out there to the disobedience of what God is saying right here, right now. And then Paul turns to this subject here in verse 17, which kind of gets back to what I had talked about at the start here when he's you know, talking about uh, blessing those who persecute you and uh, bless them and bless them and don't curse them. He kind of comes back to this here in, in verse 17. And he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We, we do have this problem in many Christian circles where they think they're going to be the avenger. And you know how this kind of plays out sometimes? We we try to be subtle about it. I've got a friend who's going through this very issue with the church that he was attending. And the elders or pastor, church leaders or whatever, playing this game of uh, ping pong with his life. And the, the game of ping pong kind of goes, and I think it's a matter of vengeance. You know, they, they, I don't know if he did something or said something that kind of became a burr under their saddle, so to speak. But instead of addressing it directly and going to him and discussing it, kind of like what is what uh, the, the church discipline model that is outlined, I think it is a Roman, or not Roman, it said Matthew chapter 18 when there is that type of an issue that takes place. Go to the person, talk to them. Don't text them. Don't send them an email. Go talk to them. And if the first person doesn't succeed, then take somebody with you. And then if that doesn't work, then take them, you know, uh, bring them before the whole church and so on and so forth. Deal with it in a honorable way. Show some dignity. But we don't do that. What we do is we go around the back door 
trying to sneak in the back door with our persecutions. We backbite and insult and gossip and so on and so forth. We try to taint the well, trying to make that person look like they're just a pariah. But we never talk to them. And so we play this game of ping pong. We're returning, repaying them evil for the so-called evil that they might have perpetrated. Or in the case of, like I said here a little, little bit ago, at the start of the introduction here, uh, instead of just admitting, and I do, I, I admitted it, I have a hard time blessing those who do stupid things. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I hate that. I want, I wanted, that criminal dead. Right then and there. Now, the police eventually got him. They had to chase him a while, but he got it back out of his truck later on as they chased him down the highway. He got back out of his truck again, and he tried to kill another officer. But by that time, all the forces were called in, and he did manage to shoot one more officer. He didn't kill him. But by the time all was said and done, in a matter of seconds, that guy was filled. He was riddled with bullets. And I was applauding. I was like, yeah, this guy got what he deserved. He got what he deserved. He got the death penalty in the same way he was. That's what I wanted. But we're not to repay evil for evil. To me, that wasn't an evil. That was a good thing. I just had a hard time with it from the start. You know, but Paul says, you know, don't repay evil for evil. Don't do, don't do something conniving. Don't go in the back door. Don't backstab. Don't gossip somebody to death. Killing their spiritual vitality or maybe their uh, reputation within, especially in a church setting. Don't go that route. Give thought to do what is honorable. Literally, what is good? It's a different word than what he's used used uh, previously when he was talking about honor. When he says, "Outdo one another in honor," you know, putting them up on a pedestal. This here is just simply doing what is good by God's standard, by what God has revealed in His Word here, by God's character. Of course, you know, once again. That is going to require knowing what God is even about. As he has revealed himself, we're not going to know anything about God unless he reveals himself. And he has right here in his book. We see it in creation. We see it in his son. We see it in his creation in the sense of human beings. That's the standard do what is good in the sight of literally all men. That means everybody. It's, a, it's not religion that is in a closet. It's something that is outward. you know. And I think there's a reason for this. Because when you do it out there in public, everybody gets to see it. It doesn't mean that you necessarily can't put on a show, but it's something that they can come back and say, why are you doing it this way uh, when the other day or later on you did it that way? You know, you were stabbing that person in the back over here, you know, 
and maybe in your little clique, your little social gathering. But over there, you're pie in the sky. When we're doing what is honorable, doing what is good, from a godly perspective, for somebody who has done something evil, the whole world sees it. And it holds you accountable. It makes you accountable to you know things that might be inconsistent later on. They can then bring you back in line in case you go awry and you start doing evil things for evil things. And then the Apostle Paul says here in verse 18, you know, if it's possible, if you've got the power, and apparently the way this is written, because it's a first-class conditional sentence, if you've got the power, you've got the capability, and it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Now, sometimes that's pretty hard to do. There are demoniacs in the world that you're not going to get along with. No matter what you do, they're going to curse you to your face and you know, stab you in the back and shoot you in the head if they can. But if it depends on you, the power is in your decision-making and your actions, then live peaceably with them. This provides an opportunity to share the gospel of peace with them. They're going to be wondering, man, what does it take to set this guy off? Well, it's because of the power of God and his spirit that lives in that person's life that keeps them calm amid adversity and trials and tribulation. I mean, like I said, when I was sitting there watching that guy get shot, I was going, oh, I wanted just to... Uh, but I didn't go out and <laughs> like you see so much of today with the Antifa people and the BLM and all the, you know, the other morons. I didn't go out and set a building on fire, my neighbor's house on fire, didn't overturn their car or truck. I, no, it's all ridiculous. I didn't go out and, you know, kidnap anybody, hold anybody for ransom. No. The the now some people would probably do that, and we've seen that before in the news. But that's not how a Christian is supposed to be. If it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Here we go again. He's returning to this. Never, uh, you know, take out this uh, vigil anti-attitude that if nobody else is going to get the job done, I'm going to do it myself. And it reminded me of a thing that I saw today. I've it's actually been out there for a long time, of another incident. And the guy was probably justified, at least in the court, to a certain degree of what he did. His young son, 10 years old, 11 years old, he had been part of a, a karate, uh, judo-type uh, learning activity. And the uh, judo teacher instructor or whatever it is, molested him, sexually molested him, had been molested him for a long time. Well, the, the, the judo instructor, they finally caught him and after he'd kidnapped this, this boy and, uh, they finally caught him at gunpoint and they're extraditing him back to where he was at, where it all took place. 
And uh, he's walking through an airport terminal. And you can look this up. I think the, the guy, the dad's name is Glary Plache. Uh, he's walking through the airport terminal. And uh, go. Up, he's walking past with the with the uh, the guards, the law enforcement. And uh, here's uh, here's the dad. He's standing next to a bank of, of telephones. And right when he walks by, dad whips out a gun, shoots him in the head, kills him right there on the spot. Now, some people said, uh, well, the, at least one of the uh, the uh, police officers said, well. You know, you just threw away your life. You got all these kids, including your son that you just got back. Now you're going to spend the rest of your your days in prison. Come to find out, well, no, that wasn't the case. He got five months of probation. Uh, and uh, what was it? Five, yeah, I think that was it. Five months of pro- probation. Never, never served any time in prison. And the reason why? Well, because, well, the... Court, at least at that time, felt he was justified because of all the anguish that this criminal had uh, had committed. But that's not that's not the the uh, uh, Christian way of going about things. Never avenge yourselves. But why? Because you, you're supposed to leave it up to the wrath of God. This doesn't mean that God, and you're going to see this here in chapter 13, has not set up institutions to exact this kind of wrath upon the criminal element. It's that you're not supposed to do this. Now, in the Old Testament, this was also permissible. You know, you would round up the criminal, and then the family would do away with the uh, with the criminal themselves. They'd rock the criminal to sleep. That's not the way it is in the Christian realm, though, when it comes to exacting justice, when it comes to meeting out uh, the consequences upon somebody who has done something like molesting your kid. You're to leave that up to the wrath of God. And how that takes shape, God only knows. Once again, God has set up certain institutions. The civil authorities have been have been given the responsibility of meeting out capital punishment upon capital offenders as well as other consequences for lesser offenses. God says Vengeance is mine. I'll repay them. Not only on earth, but in the one world to come. The the world beyond the world. The eternal world. There are some people that are spending time in hell today because they have, or they led, lives that were unrepentant, And God never granted them the grace to repent. This gets back to Romans chapter 9. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to that. Some people say, well, that's just not fair. That's not right. You know, once again, it's kind of like the old Campus Crusade for Christ thing I just read to you a second ago. Uh, Never had the chance to hear the gospel. Well, it's not a matter of chance. It's a matter of God's providence. Uh, in fact, it's part of God's design because if we were to go back to chapter 9, we would see that God is the one who has created certain vessels for dishonor to magnify his grace and his glory to those that have been vessels or created as vessels of honor. 
And so people say, well, that just makes us all automatons. And all. No, it does not. It means you get to play the role of a creature, and that's it. God knows infinitely what he's doing in all of these situations. Whether they're once again allowing a police officer to be shot out on the highway. And me sitting here going, oh, Lord God. Why? I don't understand. But God does. And that's why when it comes to meeting out justice... Vengeance is of the Lord. It's not me. I'm not the Lord. God is, though. And for every injustice, there's going to be consequences. You can bank on it. None of this has escaped God's attention. In fact, what God instructs us to do, once again, instead of going the low road and doing what maybe a uh, a henchman of some kind would do, we're to do the polar opposite. If your enemy is hungry, going back to the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Proverbs, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Because by doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Now, this is this is bewildering sometimes. Well, it is bewildering to me because I've never really found anybody who really gave a what I would think is a is a plausible explanation. I've read all kinds of commentaries on it. But what does it mean except in the in the realm of uh vengeance? You're not able, even in your most severe act of judgment or vengeance, to be able to do what God is going to do to them. And in certain instances, I've heard this in a couple of different ways where by doing the polar opposite or doing what is contrary to what we would normally think we would do with a child molester or somebody who's killed a cop or something like that, uh, we're to go the high road with the expectation that, that this whole idea of heaping burning coals on his head would affect that person's conscience to the point where they would repent. That's one theory. When I take a look at this in the in the Greek language here, in which the book of Romans was written, there's this word here, of this burning coals on his head, is <laughs> the word we get for anthrax. <laughs> I'm serious. Coals here, which has been translated as such in the ESV, the NAS, uh, King James that I've got here in front of me, uh, as well, I'm Probably pretty sure several others. I've got probably 10 other ones here I could probably be signed. But it's the word for anthrax. Now, anthrax, for coals, I, I don't know how much anthrax was going around during Paul's day. I looked up some uh, symptoms of those that have been affected by anthrax, and it part of the, the, the symptom of anthrax poisoning, which is a bacteria, is to suffer from a high fever. And depending on whether it's inhaled, you know, it's an internal infection or one on the skin or whatever. If it's if it's internal, you know, the 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 fever uh, grows to a pitch where the person easily can expire. And I'm thinking to myself, is that what Paul is saying here? 
Is this God, God's vengeance working out of that person's life? The person has gone out and killed somebody mercilessly, I think a Ted Bundy from time to time. How are you going out there and murdered all those women? How about Charles Manson? How about the, once again, the Muslim terrorists over in Israel? You're giving these people the last of the heaven they'll ever know by feeding them and quenching their thirst because then what God is going to do at the end of the day is going to heap all of these burning anthrax on their head and they'll be in misery forever. But, you know, when you stop and think about that, does that coincide with what Paul says in verse 21? Do not be overcome by evil, which I think it would go back to, once again, what he's uh, been instructing before. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Do what's good. Whether you're talking about your Christian brother or your secular neighbor, do what's good to them all the time. Let God handle you know, the evil person. You'll be glad you did, so to speak. Because God is the one who can exact more punishment and more justness when it comes to evil and rottenness than we ever possibly could. And we're not supposed to be supposed to be doing that anyway. But we're to overcome evil with good, which once again would get back to what he's saying or what others have interpreted the previous verse about. Uh, when it comes to uh, the burning coals, you're trying to prick their conscience, to change their mind, to turn around, to repent of the evil for which they are complicit, to which they are guilty. And in that respect, I would say, you know what, the, the those who would interpret it or translate it that way, I think you're probably on the right course. Whatever the case, the Christian, when it comes to behavior is supposed to be diametrically the polar opposite of how the world operates. We're to, once again, let love be genuine, and we're not to be the hypocrite. Well, we managed to get through that, didn't we? I hope you enjoyed this. This is just one aspect of how Christians are supposed to live. Hopefully you will put it to practice, or at least think about it. Go back and read it again. If you have a question or a comment, you can write me, podcast at capro, C-A-P-R-O dot info, and let me know. Paul will continue on here with the practical application is basically what the rest of the book of Romans is about, as he brings the Christian constitution to a full circle here. It's what makes the Christian gospel good news. It is whole. It is comprehensive. And it's worth rejoicing about. Share it with others. Time is short, and they need to hear. Until next time, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Look forward to talking to you again in the future. Lord bless you. Take care. Thank you.